Melbourne's diverse poetry scene. Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey. Connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. Good morning and welcome to the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins and we're recording on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Melbourne, also known as Nam. Um, today we have the pleasure of talking to Sarah M. Saleh again to talk about the flirtation of girls. How are you going, Sarah? Hi, Di. Thanks so much for having me today. I... You know, I'm doing okay, all things considered, uh, you know, with what's going on in Gaza and the world at the moment. Yes, so Sarah, you are a uh, an Australian poet of Palestinian, Egyptian and Lebanese heritage. So you must, and a human rights lawyer, so you must be right in the middle of everything. Um, yes, that's right. So we're, we're recording in January 2024, so what's been happening lately? Yeah, well, I think um, it's been, you know, happening for, for quite a while now. Uh, we're going into day 90-plus of um, Israel's assault on Gaza at the moment, or I should say genocide, really. And, I mean, I've got to be honest with you, Dee, I'm, I'm actually, die sorry, I'm actually um, honestly reeling today. I'm reeling from more news coming in every day. I'm more shocked, um, you know, than the previous day, and... I think, you know, seeing the news uh, just last night of Wa'el Dahdur, son Hamza, being um, targeted and murdered by an Israeli airstrike, uh, Hamza being a journalist and also Wa'el's last remaining family member, because Wa'el's family were killed, um, his wife, his other daughter and other son and granddaughter were killed in October, early on in the assault. And so just receiving that news last night and seeing the number of journalists who have died um, or who have been killed rather rising, the death toll rising, everything just seemingly ceaseless and endless and just getting worse and worse by the day it has, has definitely taken taken its toll on me. Um, having said that, I think, you know, the fact that it's January, the fact that we are nearing Invasion Day has also been on my mind. And I, I look to First Nations activists and communities and, and draw a lot of strength from them, the strength that keeps me persevering and showing up every day because we don't have any other choice. Yes, and just to clarify, Hamza is was the son of the director of Al Jazeera, is that right? That's right. So Wa'el is also a journalist and he's the bureau's chief at Al Jazeera as well. So he's been reporting, you know, tirelessly um, throughout the last three plus months as well. Well, it's a horrific tragedy and the loss of, I think, 100 journalists in uh, in Gaza is an extraordinary, ex- extraordinary atrocity. It's just dreadful. 
Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about Wael, and I, 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 you know, a lot of people are hailing him, you know, as someone who is absolutely, you know, the epitome of what it means to be someone from Gaza, persevering, resilient, patient, but I am just so devastated and heartbroken because I don't know how you come back from this, and I, I, I you know, the people of Gaza are, are just like any, you know, they, they are like no other people, but at the same time, exceptionalizing them and, and putting them up on this pedestal. I wish we didn't have to. I wish they didn't need to be like any, you know, like no other people. I wish they could just be free and be alive and, and be free to live their lives. And so I'm, yeah, I'm just, just devastated. Yeah, it, it's horrific. Now we'll go back to your marvelous book, The Flirtation of Girls. So you've got a few poems on it, it's quite a spectrum of topics in your in your book uh and there's one called the purging perhaps this one might be somewhat relevant to yeah. the moment Yeah I'd be happy to read that by and I think you know uh, to your to your point uh we don't really live or lead single-issue lives, and so this book is certainly touching on a spectrum of issues that um, and, and themes that are important to me and that, you know, I hope convey the sort of multiplicity of our experiences, the complexity of our experiences as um, everyday <clears throat> sort of uh, people uh, of, you know, the various intersections that you mentioned earlier. So I think that, for me, is one of the biggest, uh, I, I think, joys in being able to have the freedom to write to all that uh, in, in this collection. So I'll start with a reading of The Purging. The Purging. When you reconstruct my jaw, handle with sensitivity, for it is in ruin. You'll find my mouth open for the first time in a while. For so long, it has been a citadel, an unholy well. A whale will come out. Don't be surprised if you happen upon other noises in there, too. My father's praise, prayers for Gaza nesting in my throat. You may also detect the perfect English, the Arabic subtitles my mouth could never accommodate, and the taste of tears, clementines and cardamom in the hinges. Baptize this mouth of the screams and the indignities when they came for us. Cleanse it of the abstinence, the ghosts of wedding vows that were never recited. As you rebuild, the words may appear in anarchy. Please purge them from my mouth. I don't ever want to see them again. Yes, a, a fabulous poem and um, a cry from the heart. Yes. Yeah, um, I think it's um, amazing. A whale will come out. Don't be surprised if you happen upon other noises in there too. My father's praise, prayers for Gaza nesting in my throat. Yeah, they're um, perennial, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I think that sort of speaks to the fact that for those who might not be aware, obviously this did not begin on October 7 and it's only the question is only why did people begin to tune in on October seven? I think that's an excellent question, and uh, it's a matter of issues around the media and what stories are told, what stories are not told, and uh, all kinds of things. When I was living in India in the eighties, India was a part of something called the Non-Aligned Movement. 
and the kind of reporting on the Middle East that was normal in in India in the 1980s was utterly opposite to the reporting that is standard in Australia. So it's, it's about the choices of in journalism a lot of the time, as well as other ways of telling stories. So luckily we have your book, The Flirtation of Girls, and you're telling your story through poetry. So there's a win. That's right. I mean, what an excellent segue. I think that it really speaks to the power of uh, storytelling and why uh, it's important for us to be able to share uh, our art and our literature in the face of erasure, in the face of silencing. You know, we have powerful voices. We've always had powerful, powerful voices in literature. I'm not very aware of very many Palestinian writers. Um, who are the famous Palestinian writers? Well, there are many, and as I said to you, though, the issue has been, you know, sort of a, a silencing, a great silencing and an erasure of our art and our and our literature, and that's why it's so important to have our voices out there more than ever. And so you have historically powerful um, poets and writers like Ghassan Kenafani, like Mahmoud Darwish, like Fadwa Tukan, and many others, and then more contemporarily, um, you have poets like Najwan Darwish, Darin Tatur, who are, um, you know, both Palestinian, but also diaspora poets like Shahan Pseso, Hala Alian. You have authors like Suzanne Abulhawa. So, yes, and, and of course, locally in Australia, you've got uh, Dr. Randa Abdel Fattah, you've got uh, Amal Awad, um, Michaela Sahad, who's a writer um, whose book is coming out in the next couple of years, and Hasib Hodani, who has a poetry collection all about BDS, believe it or not, um, also t- due to be released soon. I think um, he released a chapbook recently, but, you know, the idea is that we, we do have uh, quite a significant contribution to the literary landscape uh, and it's really uh, heartening to see people take an interest and in, to amplify Palestinian artists and authors and our work Great. at the moment. Mm. Yeah, well now you I think grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney, is that right? Well I actually grew up in southwest or I've been living in the southwest but I grew up doing a lot of community work and uh, sort of organizing in western Sydney and even my writing career was sort of, uh, well writing journey was sort of born I would say um in Banks, between Bankstown and Parramatta, so on dark land. Uh, so yes, definitely close to my heart and something I, I usually say uh, those areas grew me as an artist. Okay, so we've got a poem here called Ode to the Western Suburbs Train Lines, also known as Evil in the Suburbs. Would you like to read that? Yes, and if I could just take a moment to explain uh, the a.k.a. Evil in the Suburbs, the second part of that title, is actually a play or a dig at um, this very uh, problematic uh, book that was written about uh, Muslims and Arab communities in uh, Western, who are, you know, in Western Sydney, and it was called Evil in the Suburbs and obviously employed a lot of the typical tropes about our communities and growing up in a post-9-11 world, you know, hyper-criminalizing our men and sort of, uh, yeah, just portraying them in that, you know, sort of demonized way. And that's why I wanted to write this piece uh, sort of as a subversive or response to it. Um, So that's why it's called Ode to the Western Sydney Train Lines, a.k.a. Evil in the Suburbs. T3. Today I am eyeing out this group of exotic white people trespassing in the area. 
where we split $9 Thai and Tatarik, where 200 languages molest each other on the platform every morning, where the best tailors sew sleeves onto all my dresses and where our love was busted by the ethnic auntie news network in the parking lot, where I don't need to translate the doctor's words to Baba, its streets a place I cannot hide from myself home of the halal snack packs of hijabi influencers, beards and braided chains and Nike TNs and fobs and slam poets and diehard doggies fans. A stage where I am seeing and seen. It never sleeps. T5. Dooped up Subarus, the shisha cafes, cat calls and bitchy auntie commentary blot station streets. Like hundreds of confessions, we make our way to the place of our worship, Fairfield Star's Palace. I almost indulge in the abundance of links and stronghold hairspray and glitter, the money that is obnoxiously spent, but also gifted. The 400-plus wedding guests, phosphoric stories all over this tacky celebration, and it is ours. A stage and I am not suspect. This country tries to rid itself of us, as it has done to others before, but we are still here. 350,000 and counting. And more power to your arm. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, so Western Sydney, is it a fun place most of the time? Well, <laughs> it depends on who you're asking and where, where you know what time, what, what where on the timeline you are, you know. So, I my partner, I'm married to someone who grew up in two one four four Auburn, and he will tell you of a childhood, and particularly again post sort of Cronulla riots and post nine eleven. Um, of uh, of a suburb that was terrorized by midnight raids and police racially profiling and targeting young men like him, like his friends, like his family, you know, some members. So I think I wouldn't necessarily count that as the kind of fun, um, well, I wouldn't count that as fun for, for me or for, for them. But I think uh, obviously Western Sydney is a very diverse and complex place and we need to be able to when we are talking about it and contending with it, 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 part of that also means reconciling the fact that we are also settlers on stolen land and what does that mean to live uh, as people on stolen dark land and other parts um, of, of that area. So I think for me, those are some of the questions that immediately come up. Um, but at the same time, uh, as an artist, as I mentioned, I grew up in those areas and I grew as an artist in those areas. So I am forever grateful for, you know, Parramatta Riverside Theatre for hosting the first Arab film festival, you know, for years and years. That was so important to be able to see ourselves on screen and have that shared community. I'm so grateful for Bankstown Arts Centre and the Bankstown Poetry Slam for running the largest regular slam in the Southern Hemisphere and having that as a, as a place to call home every single month for the last decade since its conception. So, um, yeah, I think for me, it, it holds so much and it'll always be special and always be home. Great. I'm talking to Sarah M. Saleh about her new book, The Flirtation of Girls. So, Sarah, one of the unusual qualities of, of your book is that you've got a very long poem in here called The Day Home Didn't Change, which goes for five pages. That's a bit special, isn't it? Did it take you long to write? 
Yes, uh, it was written in response to uh, the explosion that took place on August 4, 2020 in Beirut, Lebanon, um, you might recall, which was obviously a very harrowing experience, particularly for those of us who have family and friends there. And it did it did take me a while, mainly because, you know, because of the grief and the amount of processing that we had to do, um, all of us, you know, collectively, but myself as an individual. So certainly it is one of the longer poems in the collection. Like you said, there are a few others, um, but this is, I think this is the longest one. That's right. And how is Beirut going now? Um, oh. <laughs> uh, I laugh, but it's more... Uh, masquerading laugh, masquerading a cry, because uh, aside from the usual, um, you know, the, the sort of the things that we're dealing with, the political ineptitude and corruption and the poverty and the, you know, post-COVID sort of devastation that we're still recovering from and this and, and the bomb, we're also now seeing Israel attack um, uh you know, South Lebanon and also Beirut. Uh, there was a leader who was assassinated, targeted assassination a couple of days ago um, in South Beirut, which is obviously a serious provocation from Israel. So there is, you know, there is a, a lot of us are, you know, sitting here with bated breath, watching what is happening, afraid it's going to escalate into a regional war, which is potentially what Israel wants. Yes. Well, none of us want that. No, absolutely not. We've lost far too much, Di. We've lost far too much, and we are still losing. And, uh, yeah, it's it's just exhausting to have to watch from the sidelines and know that there's very little we can do because uh, the power lies with very corrupt leaders. I mentioned not just Lebanon, but corrupt, whether it's the U.S. or Israel or uh, parts of our own government who are watching and, and doing nothing. So would you like to read, uh, let's see how we go with time, and if you wouldn't mind reading The Day Home Didn't Change. I'd love to. Fireflies. The beeping dial tone taunted me, like a handful of glass scraping across my insides. It was a familiar feeling following Lebanon's asphyxiating 30-year civil war and daily anxieties about what was happening and concern for loved ones. I had spent several hours trying to reach my mother in Beirut after a massive explosion tore through the city's belly that balmy summer evening of August 4th. In a desperate, futile attempt to make sense of it, I watched, eyes puffed like curdled milk, Instagram video after Twitter video of destroyed homes, gutted cars, shattered windows. The blast incinerated trees, rearranged the faces of centuries-old buildings, pulled the ashen Mediterranean sea line inward. News outlets reported that the Beirut bomb was so huge it was heard in Cyprus. Whiteness. During an event to fundraise for the victims of the Beirut blast, one of the speakers reminded the online audience that our Home Affairs Minister once said resettling Lebanese Muslims into Australia in the 1970s was a mistake. A statement one does not so readily forget, like a shadow that momentarily shrinks in the corner as it prepares to grow and swallow the whole room. Our discourse is bloated with this type of Islamophobic anti-Arab commentary, which is regularly propagated by politicians in power. I write this as we mark 15 years since the Cronulla riots and almost two decades since 9-11. In his seminal book, White Nation, scholar Ghassan Hajj argues that our various racialized identities in Australia are imagined, positioned, and managed as being in some way alien in relation to whiteness and white values. 
This is what Hajj refers to as the fantasy of white supremacy, rooted in the identification with European empire, with conquest and colonization. White is the default Australian culture, and white people imagine themselves as in control of this default, of this version of Australia. This is an essential part of white Australia's imagination, a deliberate design to exclude, to induce feelings of exclusion, and to play on both. The more alien we feel and are made to feel, the more displaced we become. The more displaced we are, the more eager many of us become to prove ourselves and our place here in this dominant version of Australia. Some through allegiance to this version and others to an alternative, to each other and to a like community. Diaspora. To fight this social, psychological dislocation, we invest in building diaspora where it can seem easier to revive, maintain, or invent a unique interest and connection with a prior homeland, real or imagined, where there is no room or risk of forgetting, assimilating, or distancing. We reconstruct relics out of shared anxieties and feelings and rituals, rotate them on our spits. We take our drums and our derbeke to the opera house to protest our Lebanese government, find solace in the global family WhatsApp group chats as we bond over multilingual memes and bizarre conspiracy theories and floral forwards, long for the ruins of Byblos and the shores of the Mediterranean, bedazzled with silvery fish, as we barbecue and hum along to Feidou's soundtrack on Sundays, gift each other containers of genetic in spring and frozen dried mint in autumn. To exist in diaspora is to exist within ambivalent, shifting fault lines, flamboyant and feeble. It is a continual conjugation of this hybridized Arab identity faced with the double bind of racism and patriarchy as we ourselves perpetuate dispossession against the traditional custodians of this land. Well, that's a, a very special poem and we haven't finished it. And um, uh, I recommend anyone who's interested to get a copy of the book, The Flirtation of Girls. So we might move on to a, another poem. This one's called Bad Immigrant. Uh, would you like to tell me something about how that came about? Yeah, I think that Bad Immigrant is sort of related to um, what we were speaking about earlier growing up in our communities and various uh, suburbs across southwest and western Sydney and what that looks like. You know, it's a very um, colorful <laughs> life and also there's so much to celebrate and so much to be thankful for and uh, a lot of sort of commonalities, but I think, uh, in, you know, in, in how we, we grow up um, speaking to other folks who have similar upbringings, they, they there are some sort of, I, I suppose, tropes or sort of uh, things that are particular to us, that inside jokes that we understand, and I wanted to speak to that and celebrate that, but there's also things that are um, less than, you know, savory, and that includes, uh, as I said, growing up in a place where uh, we were racially profiled and targeted and uh sort of, uh, yeah, discriminated against institutionally and on a daily basis. And that's sort of what this, this uh, poem plays on and to. Excellent. Okay, so would you like to read it? Sure. It's called Bad Immigrants. Who adjusted the antenna to snag a signal for 200-plus Arabic channels you didn't pay for? 
Who gets sent home with a teacher's note about the smell of mama's packed lunch? Who keeps sewing kits in the blue butter biscuit tin, your first childhood betrayal? Who saves coupons for that special occasion, your cousin's cousin's graduation? Who all talk at the same time every dinner and gathering and celebration? Who live on two mortgages three doors down from Teta and Jiddo? Who go weddings looking like the city at Christmas all bangles and bright color? Who haggle at the souks of Lepkemba? Who coddle all the words, roll them and knead them and give them pet names? Who has the cleanest bums bidet equals weapon of choice? Who trade mensas for mantu over the fence? Who not understood by their parents? Who not understood by their children? Who look like a store sign, no Islamic here, no halal here? Who look like they stole our jaws? who sound like the speech Final Solution 2.0, who funeraled our sons even when they're not dead, who know military tanks and choppers over the basketball courts, who refuse border force, their lines and their detention centers, who pledge allegiance to black history, black country, who look like Muhammad Saleh, who look like Muhammad Awad, who look like Zahir and Gamal and Muhyiddin and the cab driver uncle, the pharmacist, the tradie, the devoted husband, the target practice, the fuck-off lebs, the gangs and riots, who begged to be white, who spectacled us. Why did we watch? Yes. Well, another very powerful poem. Thank you, Dai. I think you would have picked up on some of the references, you know, such as uh, the military tanks and choppers and the basketball courts would be uh, the what happened, you know, in the response of the government to COVID in Western Sydney or parts of Western Sydney in particular, which was obviously um, criticized as being disproportionate and, again, targeting some communities uh, in a different, you know, way to others and the sort of blatant double standards there, which we know is sort of legacy in terms of how uh, our communities have been treated and have been viewed as suspect by government and, you know, many policies enacted that way. Uh, same thing goes for the, the speech that I mentioned. Perhaps it's important here for those who aren't familiar, but uh, when I reference the speech Final Solution 2.0, that is actually a reference to a speech that was made uh, by a, a senator at the time, Senator Fraser Anning, who was calling for a uh, final solution, which we know is our words co-opted um, from the Jewish experience uh using it against Muslim communities, uh, and obviously in the most harrowing and racist of ways. So these are some of the references that I'm making that I suppose kind of speak to the title of the poem, that it doesn't matter whether we are good or bad, you know, model migrants, our citizenship is conditional. And that's uh, th- these are some of the ways in which that is the case. Yes, and, and beautifully expressed, and with a bit of humour too. Um, and, and there are lots of in-jokes who trade Mansaf for Mantu over the yeah. fence. And <laughs> <laughs> I think Mantu is a Chinese bun, isn't it? No. Uh, Mantu is actually, um, so there's Mante, which is the sort of Turkish dumplings, and Mantu is the Afghan version of those dumplings. Okay. So you know, different cultures have those different dumplings. And yeah. I think why I love that is because it's, it's literally our communities and how they 
sort of converse with each other. Food is a love language, not the only thing. But as an example, uh, that that's one of the things that I love the most: the generosity of our of of neighbors. You know, trading our foods over the fence, making sure that you know we're looked after, we're fed. Um, but at the same time, you have things like uh, another inside joke is uh, I, I don't know if you had this in your household, Di, but uh, the blue butter biscuit tin, that Danish biscuit box. Yes, that I know. Every yes. child, yeah, <laughs> grew up thinking were delicious biscuits inside, but really our grandmothers or our parents, our folks uh, had hidden or had had replaced those biscuits once they were done with a sewing kit. And so I joke that it is a our first lesson in betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, now they're very handy those those tins. Yes. <laughs> Great. Well, it's been a, a, a very great pleasure to speak to you, Sarah. Thank you so much. It's an honour to speak to you, and I really appreciate the space, space to come onto your program and talk poetry in Palestine, amongst other things. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Thank you for your support. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you've got your book out at this time. Uh, it's, it, it has a lot of resonances on every level. Um, so I've been speaking to Sarah M. Saleh about her new book, the Flotation of Girls. Uh, my name is Di Cousins and this has been the 3CR Spoken Word Programme.